The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. We're going to be in a multitude of other texts today, but Psalm 139 is going to be the one that we will look at in the most detail. Uh, Many of you know, as I had told you over the past couple weeks, that today I'll be preaching a message pertaining to the biblical topics that will be a part of this coming presidential election that we have coming up very soon. And I recognize that what I'll be preaching today has within it the ability to make some people very angry. Um, Some to the extent that you may choose to leave this church, perhaps even before the service sees its completion, uh, you may choose to stand up and walk out of this service. Uh, But before I preach that message, though, there are some things that I would love for you to know, and it's that my goal is not, nor has it ever been, to offend. It's not my goal. It's never been my goal. Uh, I I love the feeling, as probably all of us do, when you're at the grocery store or somewhere in town, and you bump into someone that you know from church, and, and you love that feeling, whether they're from church or not. You love that feeling of somebody being able to look at you, and there not being any weirdness. There's just a good, uninhibited relationship of, of mutual respect and love. And, and you like that feeling. Everybody likes that feeling of, of being loved and being able to love others. And there's not be this thing between us and the relationship and this baggage. And I love that too. I love, I love having those kinds of relationships with you all and people in the community. But what I love infinitely more than you or my daughter Daisy or even my wife Abby is my Lord and my Savior. What many preachers will be doing between now and November 3rd is they will be spending much more time than they normally spend in preparing their message. And they will be preparing a message that is perfectly crafted such that no names of political parties are mentioned, no names of people within political parties are mentioned. It will be constructed so finely, so much attention to detail in the wording that the congregation, both left and right, both conservative and non, both Republican and Democrat, however you look at it, such that people from both sides of this fence will be able to interpret it such that they can get it to mean whatever they want it to mean. It's a worthless sermon. What good is a sermon such that people can interpret it to make it fit, to make it fit whatever their ears want to hear? It's worthless. And I believe I've been around ministry long enough to know why this will happen. It's because pastors are afraid of decreased attendance in their church, which then equates to decreased funds that help cover the debt that many churches have and ultimately the salary that the pastor makes. Can I just tell you, church, that I I don't care about these things. I mean, I, I enjoy, I mean, I think we all enjoy sitting in a room full of believers. I mean, I enjoy preaching to that. I think we all enjoy that together, but no, that's not the reason that I started the pastorate at this church. 
this church has no debt, nor do I have any debt in my own personal life, so I'm, I'm not a slave financially, nor is this church a slave financially to anyone. So I'm not preaching under that pretense of, of being stuck in that way of having to please people in this kind of way. And the salary that I make from my role here at this church is not the reason that I am a pastor. I started ministry many years ago, and I, I think I was making somewhere in the ballpark of like $200 a week. I did not begin ministry because of the money, and I'm not in ministry. I'm not behind this pulpit right now because of money. And there's also this overarching sense, church, that this whole church belongs to Jesus. Uh, hear me clearly when I say that this church doesn't need you. This church doesn't need me. Any single one of us could be, could be replaced in a millisecond. It makes me nauseous, the notion that pastors will sometimes run around and cater to people that a certain age demographic that they feel like the church needs more of or a certain group of people or person that they know has given large sums of financial support to the church. It makes me nauseous thinking that, I mean, I'm just repulsed by the notion that me as a pastor would run around and cater to certain groups of people to try and get them to stay or to please them in a certain way. I, I mean, I just, I just want to be a pastor to all people in the same way and and that kind of thing, people feeling like they ought to be given some kind of due respect because of who they are, because of their children that they bring to church or their financial ability. I mean, I'm just, I'm sickened by that. So if that's you, don't ever expect to have that kind of treatment from me. I, I love you, but, but not that much. Man, I... Uh, just in case you are wondering, I do plan to stay in my lane today as a pastor. I'm not a politician. I'm not an economist. I'm not a lobbyist. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. And, and, and I intend to do what it is that God has called me to do in that role. And some people would say, well, pastors shouldn't speak about things in politics because of separation of church and state. And usually they're referencing, it's a misinterpretation, I would say, but they're usually referencing the First Amendment, which for the sake of clarity, I'll go ahead and read it for us. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So we see on this first level of the law of our land that there is absolutely nothing prohibiting me from speaking about politics. In fact, this First Amendment protects my ability to stand up here and to preach as God would call me to preach through the authority of His Word. And what completely goes over that is God's Word. And even with that, some people would say, well, pastors shouldn't speak of politics because the Bible is silent on them. To which I would disagree. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All Scripture, everyone say all Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So stay in my lane, I will. I intend to preach with no ambiguity whatsoever such that every believer at New Covenant Community Church knows exactly how they ought to be commissioned by our King, by our Savior, what they ought to do come November 3rd. So if you are ready to hear this sermon, if you are scared to death about what I'm about ready to say, say amen. Let's... Um, Let's just first uh, go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, I pray that my words, the words of my mouth, and that my heart's meditations would be pleasing to my Lord God and my Savior. And all that I do, Father, let it, let it be you who works in and through us in a way that is not us, but something that you do miraculously by your power. In Jesus' name, and we all say together, Amen. Between now and the beginning of November, church, one of three things will occur. Uh, the first thing that might occur is that God will do or allow something, making it such that believers cannot vote. Examples, the rapture. I'm cool with that. <laughs> that would be cool not to go to the polls if it meant that I was with Jesus. So that's totally cool with that one. Other reasons, natural disasters, uh, a war of some kind, or maybe perhaps something that none of us could even conceive this morning, something none of us can even think of that could stop us from going and voting come the beginning of November. So what ought we to do should this first, should this first of one of three potential possibilities happen? One of those things happen between now and November. Uh, we ought to remember that we are commissioned by the King. If we are indeed raptured off of this earth and we're with our Savior, we ought to remember that we are commissioned by our King. There will still be jobs to do, things to oversee. I mean, you just have the picture we just got done going through the book of Revelation when Jesus has the final second return of Christ. When He comes to rule with the rod of iron, we're all going to be on white horses behind Him. I mean, it takes a while to saddle up that many horses. There's going to be some jobs to do in the rapture. So we're remembering that we're commissioned by the king should, should that happen, should a natural disaster or a war or something that we cannot even think of. We remember that we are commissioned by our king. If a war were to happen between now and November, we make sure that we're on the biblical side of the battle line. If a natural disaster were to happen, we take care of our own household first and then we love our we, we, we seek to be Christ's hands and feet in our community we're commissioned by the King. Romans 14.8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In other words, you have a Joshua moment. Should one of those things happen, you say, For as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's option one of what can happen between now and November. Option two is that the believer will vote for a third party a write-in candidate, or not vote. And you say, Pastor Ben, why do you group write-ins, voting for a third party, or not voting all into the same group? And here's why. It's because regarding third party presidents, as best I can tell, we've never had one. Now there's some debate on this of whether or not Abraham Lincoln was a third party that then reverted to the Republican Party, which he was fundamental in beginning, but We've never, for, it's been clear that for the past 160 years, that this has been a, a two party type of situation that we're experiencing this year as well. I also group all of these three things together write ins, third party, and not voting. It's because there's never been a write in president before. If my memory from history tells me right, Strom Thurmond in 1954, he was, had a successful write in campaign that put him in the U.S. Senate, he, but he was not president. Uh, Charlie Wilson, another one in 2006, he was an Ohio congressman that had a successful write-in campaign that was successful in making him an Ohio congressman in 2006. But we see that both of these, the likelihood of, uh, certainly God could do something that none of us have expected, but, but both of these options are similar enough to not even voting. 
And usually the overarching principle of this, of a believer going and voting for a third party or write-in or not voting, what the person is usually said to themselves is, is I like candidate A more than candidate B, but there's a lot of things about candidate A that I don't like, so therefore I'm just not going to vote. Now, I used to feel like perhaps this was an okay thing for the believer. I used to think, okay, if your conscience does not permit you to vote for said individual, then, then, then that would be fine to do a write-in, to, to do what you felt led to do in that moment. But as I took that logic further, I found that this doesn't really seem to match up with Scripture. And here's why. It's because the Apostle Peter, if we all had the option to vote for him come November 3rd, come November 3rd I would certainly hope that we would think of him as a good option, or say the Apostle Paul for that matter, if it would be possible to vote for them as the President of the United States. But I thought about it and I thought, you know what, but people, if it, let's say it was the Apostle Paul, people would be bringing up that he, I mean, biblically we could say here in our right minds with our emotions detached from it and say, yes, he would, he would absolutely clearly be the Christian option should that ever have been an option for us, Paul the Apostle. But, but if I thought if we actually face that, what we'd probably be saying to ourselves, what many people in the culture would probably be saying to themselves is, well, he was a murderer. You can't vote for him. So just because there's elements of someone's life doesn't necessarily mean that they are the wrong option and we have to go with this third party or write-in type of way. We also have to get around verses like 2 Chronicles 19.2, which says, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. 2 Samuel, 20, 2 Samuel 23, verse 3, He who rules over men must be just, ruling in fear of God. Proverbs 29, verse 2. It says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. So I think it's, it's my best interpretation, and I think this is all where many, if not most, of all of us have landed, is that it is indeed wise for the believer to vote. For them to have their voice. To make sure that these areas of Scripture, that, that the righteous must rule in authority. It's, it ought not to be a wicked man ruling such that the people are groaning. That, that we ought to play a part in that, to remember that we're commissioned by the king to not help the wicked, as it says in Second Chronicles, to ensure the one ruling is just, Second Samuel, and to see that people aren't going about around groaning because of a wicked ruler, which is what Proverbs teaches us. So, assuming that number one and two options don't happen, that that God doesn't do or allow something that makes it such that we can't vote. And assuming that the believer does not vote for a third party, a write-in, or not vote altogether, then the third option, the thing that will happen between now and November, is that the believer will go to the polls and vote to either re-elect President Donald Trump or vote for former Vice President Joe Biden. Now here's some basic spiritual observations about both of these men. Both of them were created by God. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image, and in, in the image of God, he created them. We know of both of these men that they're both sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that both of these men have said and done things that ought to make the believer cringe. As it is for all of us, by the way, if every single one of us were to have our deepest, darkest secret written on the wall with our name next to it, none of us would want to come back here ever again. We'd be so ashamed and so embarrassed, your pastor included. 
So in order, I guess the question on the table, church, and this is just in order to be transparent and to not preach a worthless sermon, the question on the table is which one of these two created sinful beings ought the believer to vote for? I mean, that's the clearest, most basic question that's on the table this morning. And again, assuming that options number one and two don't happen, who ought the believer to vote for? If you're going to go and vote for one of these two people, and again, I'm going to be as clear as I know how to be, And I'll simply give you my answer to that question and then I'm going to make the claim as to why that's the right, make an argument for why that's the right answer to that question. I believe that the non-deceived, obedient to the Word of God believer will vote to re-elect President Donald Trump. Now I can hear some people saying, well, but he's so crude. He's so vulgar. He's rude. And I would encourage you to be reminded this morning, church, he is not our Savior. Who our Savior is has already been determined. Amen? Again, remembering that if it was the Apostle Paul or the Peter the Apostle, if one of them were running in this position, you're, it's, it's voting on what they're standing for. Not the particulars that Peter denied Christ three times. What a dunce. I mean, that's not the focal point. The focal point is, is the agenda of what what's the platform that they are indeed standing on. Now, there are numerous ways that I could argue this statement that I have made. Numerous ways. You could look at it from the standpoint of finances. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10 says, For even when we were with you, Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, he said, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, he shall not eat. That the person who is diligent in their work ought to eat, they ought to have something, and someone who refuses to work, not someone who is struggling with disabilities, not someone who ought to be helped by the local church, and yes, even perhaps by the government, the person who will not work, God's Word says, shall not eat. This free ticket, free ride type of supporting everyone, free tuition for college students, forgiving all, that ought not to happen. It's clear in God's Word that those things ought not to happen. Proverbs 13.4, you could argue it from the standpoint of working. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. If you work hard, if you work harder than people around you, and you are diligent according to God's Word, that person shall be made rich. Not penalized because they've been successful and worked harder than those around them. This is clear in God's Word. The diligent shall be made rich. You could argue it from the standpoint of the Second Amendment of the Constitution. In Luke 22, verse 36, Jesus says, He said to them, But now, he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So apparently, according to our Savior, He thought it reasonable that if you have money, or if you don't have money, you should be able to sell something you own to get some money, and you ought to be able to go buy a weapon to protect yourself. That was reasonable to Jesus. The place that I will be arguing this claim that I have made this morning, however, will be from the place, the argument, the issue of abortion. And if you're in your Bibles at Psalm 139, I invite you to look at verse 13 and following. God's Word says to us this morning, says, For you formed my inward parts, the psalmist says. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. 
and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. And in your book they were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So church, let me be clear this morning. Regarding the unborn baby, regarding this issue of aborting, regarding the child that is yet unborn, and listen, this, this is, if you're a believer, this is God's Word. This is what you believe. Okay, The creation of the unborn child is fearful. These are the words out of God's Word. They are, it is a fearful thing. It is a wonderful thing. And regarding the unborn child themselves, they are marvelous. They are marvelous. God sees them. He, God Himself, skillfully creates them. All the days of this unborn child are known by God. Before Genesis 1-1 ever happened, before any of creation ever happened, God knew all of the days of this unborn person in their completion. The thoughts that God has towards this unborn child are both precious and many. And the democratic platform today in America, and I understand that democrat, that term, that word, that party, used to mean something very different than what it means today. But what it means today is not abiding by, taking note of, giving any credence to, what God's Word says of this unborn child. It, it cares not about God's Word. It cares not about the truth that's revealed to us so plainly regarding the unborn child. And this is why hundreds of thousands of unborn children die each year and will continue to should that kind of leadership be in our land and be in our world. Now let me be clear on this. This is not a policy thing. This is not a preference thing. This is not a social justice issue thing thing as believers there's this element that this is this is not a flesh and blood kind of battle that that the battle that we're fighting is a spiritual one of principalities and powers and heavenly places this is a this is a spiritual thing this is why this this deception from the devil that has so permeated our culture and even in some churches permeated into the church these these lines these ways of thinking about the unborn child that that is just not right when you compare it to the Word of God. So I'm going to be, again, I keep saying the word plain, but, I, but I, I don't want to preach a worthless sermon to you this morning. So I'm going to give you some common arguments that are spoken from the Democratic platform that will be carried forward by Joe Biden, that will be carried forward by Kamala Harris should they be in office. I'll start with them and I'll give you them in order very clearly. And I'm going to call them pro-murder argument number one, we'll start with, of the Democratic platform. And argument number one is, aren't all sins equal before God? That's an argument I've heard before, and perhaps you have as well. They'll say things like, well, abortion is not the only issue. We're dealing with multiple wrongs. So, so therefore, abortion is only one of the sins on the table. Aren't all sins equal before God? And what I would say to that is yes and no. Yes, all sins are equal before God in the sense that the smallest to the greatest, any of them, will separate you from eternity, from God, in eternity from God, unless the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. 
All sins are equal in that regard. But I would say no sins are not equal in the sense that, that God just doesn't have any scale by which any of them are measured. They're not all treated the same. In Proverbs 6, verse 31, it teaches us about a man who steals for his family. A hungry family and a man steals food for his family. And the Bible says that that man, he will not be despised. The poor guy's just trying to feed his family. The Bible says, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, the Bible says that when he is caught, however, he'll need to pay back sevenfold of whatever it was that he stole. So the level of the crime was determining of the level of the repayment. So not all sins are equal before God. There is there's a scale, and we sense that. There's something that doesn't quite sound right that, that murdering someone's the same as some other issue that may also be sin, like, like, like being rude to somebody. There, there's something that doesn't quite sound right in our hearts about that. And I believe that God's Word supports that. I believe that the Holy Spirit is proof in our hearts that that, that doesn't quite sound right. I'm saying to you this morning, church, that abortion is not the same issue as immigration. It's not the same issue. They're different, and I would say that they're very different in God's eyes. I've been reading these articles written by very lukewarm Christians, and they'll say things like, well, you've got, you've got this candidate that's rude, and, and, he's, and he's, he's vulgar at times, and of course you can read between the lines of who they're talking about, and, then, and you've got this person that may be, that may be pro-choice, and they just try to muddy the water such that people can just then be permitted to do whatever it is they want to do, to just pick and choose the issues that mean the most to them and then vote for that candidate. I say that is indeed wrong. It's wrong. This, the blanket statement that all sins are equal before God, it, it, yes, it is true, but not in every sense in regarding our life and doctrine and how this works out in our lives. Pro-murder argument number two of the democratic platform. It's just a fetus. We've all heard this one before. It's just a fetus. Interesting that little do they know that that word fetus is the Latin word for little one or little baby. Even secular scientists will tell you this, that at the very moment of conception, that it's human life, it's living human flesh with its complete own set of DNA at the very instant of conception. And when brought this, this so clear evidence, scientific evidence before them, the, t the democratic platform will then say, well, it's not a person yet. Yes, you can test it under a microscope and tell that it's living human flesh, but it's not a, it's not a person yet. So then you enter the argument of, okay, you have, you have human non-persons and human persons. <laughs> when does the human life become a person? It just get, it just totally skews it. There's nothing right about this. Just choosing. I mean, what if somebody chooses that they, they gain personhood when they're three? It's not right. We are not God. God is God. We cannot make these decisions. He's already made them for us. His Word clearly tells us that that human life, it is a person. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're skillfully put together by God. The thoughts that God has towards them are precious and are numerous. Those are the things that God thinks about the unborn. Pro-murder argument number three of the democratic platform. What about victims of rape and incest? It's rather interesting that when you have a conversation with someone that makes this claim, you will look at them and you'll say, okay, what about them? Let's, let's pretend for a moment that we'll, we'll talk about that group in a moment, but would you be willing to admit that all the other hundreds of thousands of abortions that are committed each year are not okay. 
and I have never had anyone say anything other than, well, no, I still think it ought to be a person's choice, and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, th- then why are you using the rape and incest victim as, as, your, as, your, as the pig through which you're just going to push your agenda forward? It's wrong. It's wrong to use people like that in that kind of way. And just in case you're wondering about my stance, my views about children that are conceived from rape and incest, listen, a wrong is not made right by another wrong. There's never a time when it's okay to kill this beautiful thing that God has knit together. His thoughts are precious in many towards it. And regarding the person that is, is of this rape and incest argument, Proverbs 31, 9, part B, it says, plead the cause of the poor and needy. In other words, don't use them. It's wrong when people would use them to push their agenda forward. Plead the cause of those people who have suffered some terrible things in their lives, but, but don't use them to push their agenda forward and just care nothing of them. That's not right. Pro-murder argument number four of the democratic platform. Places where abortions are performed, example would be Planned Parenthood, provides other health-related services. We see this one all the time. Just a little history lesson for you regarding specifically Planned Parenthood, founded by a lady named Margaret Sanger, and she was not a nice lady, and that is putting it kindly. She was once recorded, quoted, when she was speaking to a group of KKK members. She did not call it Planned Parenthood, but behind closed doors it was called her Negro Project. Isn't that interesting? And what she intended to do in this Negro Project was, quote, the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of a defective stock. Those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. And people will say, well, Pastor Ben, that that, that was when it was founded. It's no longer that anymore. Then why is it that Planned Parenthood locations are placed strategically in overwhelmingly black communities? It's not right. It's not right. And, and that's just not my feeling. That's just not the way I've been told. You go to the CDC website today, and it will tell you that in 2016, of the abortions reported, and these were only the ones reported, that in America there were 623,471 abortions. And those were just the ones reported. Many others besides that. Of those reported, 37% of them were from the black American population, totaling 230,684, which this number alone of black babies that were aborted, it outweighs by far the leading causes of death among the black community, which is heart disease, cancer, and accidents. Any one of those categories, abortion outweighs them by far. The most dangerous place for a black American person today is in the womb of its mother. If Black Lives Matter was really about Black Lives Matter, they, they, they would not be burning their cities down. They'd be marching to the front of abortion clinics and saying, get this demonic monster out of here. You're killing our people. The leading cause of death among black communities is abortion. This is wrong. If Black Lives Matter was really about black lives, they wouldn't be doing any of the stuff that they're doing. They'd be standing and they'd be burning down the Planned Parenthood place. 
Revelation 7, verses 9-10, through 10, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, and sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Many of the people that John saw in that vision, very likely that you and I will see, assuming our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, many of those people will be black people who have been aborted and who have been demolished by this democratic platform that pushes forward this heinous agenda of abortion. So tell me again who the racist presidential candidate is. Because as I'm seeing it, as the numbers, as as the facts are before me, this Margaret Sanger lady who had this Negro project is still fulfilling what she planned for Planned Parenthood, and it's being carried forward by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris should they be elected. It's not right. Pro-murder argument number five, and this will be the last one. Pro-murder argument number five of the Democratic platform. It's a woman's body. She can do with it what she wants. You know what Hitler said of black people and Jewish people predominantly and people who suffered from disabilities and people who had even not mental disabilities but just had had a physical defect? You know what he said of those people? They're not a whole person. You know what it was that he didn't ascribe to the people that he buried in huge pits with bulldozers? You know what it was that he didn't ascribe to them? Personhood. You know what the Democrats don't ascribe to the unborn child? Personhood. Slave owners in early America, you know what they said? They said, they belong to me. This is a part of my property. This is, what I, this is what I own. You know what they didn't ascribe to them? Autonomy. They didn't ascribe to them that they're a whole person by themselves before God. Created in God's image. With their own spirit. That they're not to be owned. They didn't ascribe autonomy to these people. You know what it is? That the Democrats of today don't ascribe to the unborn child? Autonomy. So don't be deceived, church. The exact same logic that was used by Hitler, that was used by American slave owners and others in the world, is the exact same thinking and logic that would allow someone, and heaven forbid a Christian, to think that it's okay to obliterate this life that God has stitched together with His own hands. Show that next picture, if you would, Joseph. This is not a clump of cells. This fetus, if you will, Latin word, little baby, little one, is actually my son. And his name is Gabriel James Schwederman. He's a precious creation of God. All the days of this boy are known of God, and God has already seen all of them. It's an amazing creation that God has made a number of weeks ago, still many weeks in his mother's womb, in Abby's womb, but, but that's my son. His name is Gabriel. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the, the Democratic platform, certainly God could change the hearts of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, and any of those people who push a wicked agenda this year and all the time it seems like. God could certainly change the hearts, but assuming not, assuming that platform, the democratic platform, which means something today different than it meant many years prior, should that position, should that platform move forward, in their view, Gabriel ought to be killed whenever Abby and I feel like it. 
It's wrong. It is dead, dead wrong. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. John MacArthur was quoted saying this, quote, If you're a Christian, you cannot vote for a person or party that slays babies in the womb. And I'm glad that he was not unclear. And I agree wholeheartedly with him. And I'll make my own statement to make sure I'm not preaching you a worthless sermon and just to make sure I'm perfectly clear here. With the exclusion of God doing a miracle church and the heart of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, unless God does something that only He can do in that party, come November 3rd, there is no place for the redeemed child of God to support either of them. To support either Joe Biden or Kamala Harris based on their willful plan to obliterate the lives of millions of children. There's no place for it. So what do we do, church, come November 3rd? What, what, what do you do when there's that kind of excitement and tension in the air as we near the election season and you hear all these advertisements and all these things? You remember that you're commissioned by the king. When, when I walk into the polls November 3rd, when I go to vote, I, the one I'm representing does not ride on a donkey. The one I'm representing does not ride on an elephant. The one I'm representing rides on a white horse, and his name is Jesus Christ. I've been commissioned by the king. And there are some things that my king has told me. He says, you're my servant. You're my child. When I walk in that place, I'm not thinking about anything other than the royal blood of heaven is coursing through my veins. What is the commission of my king? And my king says that there are some things on this ballot. There are some things. There's no place. There's no place to support people that love what I hate. Here are the things that are important to me. The life. God says, the life that is precious to me. I think about it. Numerous things. The psalmist says, if I could count the number of thoughts, good, precious thoughts that God has for the unborn child, it'd be more than the sand on the seashore. You can't count them. So how in the world do you show up on Tuesday to vote for someone who wants to, to vote for a platform that wants to annihilate the lives that God has precious many more than you can count thoughts towards and then on church show up and praise Jesus. I don't see how that fits together. And if for any pastors that would be here or joining our live stream any or later on our YouTube or podcast, any pastors listen to me. Don't you since when has it been okay and I'm going to look into the camera just in case you're watching live stream. When has it ever been okay that the, that the shepherd willfully lets the sheep go astray? So what your church shrinks? So what your salary goes away? At least you can stand before God and know that you went up to the pulpit that God gave you and you preached the Word of God. We've been commissioned by the King Church. And our King has told us some specific things that are dear to Him. They're precious. I'm not talking about what's precious to you when you feel like it and precious to other people. I'm saying these things are precious to our King. And we as His people, we must go holding those things. Saying which platform could potentially save hundreds of thousands, millions of lives. The, the, the lives that are precious to God that He's stitched together with His skillful hands. And that's going to be, and I believe that that's clear. I believe it's so clear that that platform, yes, 
President Donald Trump says some things that make you kind of go like this. Yes, I understand those things. But you know what? Paul the Apostle would have done some things that make you think, man, I really wish he didn't have that past of stoning Stephen to death. But I believe that he would be the right choice because of the platform of godliness that he was supporting. If Peter, you think to yourself, man, I really don't want to vote for this guy. He denied Christ three times and Jesus even said that he would do it. But it would be the platform that he is standing for. Listen, I understand there's many things about President Donald Trump that people are not taking very much of a liking to. But the chance of godliness, the platform that supports what is godly, I'm not even sure the guy knows it's godliness, but the platform that he represents, you look at who his vice president is and the Supreme Court justice, it, it, it is the platform that mirrors most godliness in this nation. And that, my friends, is who I believe is the proper choice. Now, you may choose to walk out of this church and never come back. And I would just ask, out of just a respect for me, if you have any left at this point, that you would just tell me that you're going to leave. I, I, I appreciate the applause of those. I, I feel like there's probably still going to be a church here on next Sunday, and I'm thankful for that, obviously. But, but I can go to bed at night, and I know that I have spoken on this topic, which I will encourage other people to go back and watch the podcast. I can go to bed tonight. And I can, I can sleep with a clean, clear conscience. I, I, I'm not going to let people go on and just think, oh yeah, you can just vote for whoever, who, whatever issues you feel. No, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's not been about me. This is about being commissioned by the King. Forget not, dear church. Forget not pastors who may be here or listening online right now. Forget not who you have been commissioned by it boggles my mind that pastors just go on and they've got this huge mix of these people on both sides of this fence. Listen, I understand that both sides of that fence may have been closer together before. It's not anymore. It's not. And it boggles my mind that there are pastors that they just have people way off on both sides and they, they never draw the line in the sand saying, this is too much. This is right. This is wrong. Let us forget not our Master. Let us forget not the crucifixion that we deserved. Let us not forget the nails, the whips, the crown of thorns. Those things were taken on our behalf. He is our King. He is our Savior. And I'm commissioned by Him. And whatever He says holds dear to Him, I'm going to go and I'm going to live that everywhere I can, especially when it involves the future of this nation. Look, I, I, I know some preachers talk about America being like this glory child in the book of Revelation. I don't really see that. I don't see America as being this glory child to God, but, but it doesn't matter. I could preach this same message in China or Russia or wherever. This still holds true. God still says what's right and still says what's wrong. And it's not about how we feel. It's about what God says. Amen? Would you stand with me and we can come to worship now. So church... This is not about bashing those who feel differently on this than I do. This is about making sure that we are a united church and about not being deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. And you will encounter many people, hundreds of people within our spheres of influence. We will encounter many who are deceived in this way. Don't hate them. Love them. But show them what's true. Show them God's Word. Show, show them the issues that are important to God this year, that are always important to Him, that just so happen to be the things that are at the top of the list in our culture and in our world. Would you pray with me?
Father, I just want to preach the truth. God, would you make our hearts such, God, right now, would you, Holy Spirit, would you do something inside of us that just makes us hate, hate the lies and makes us love the truth? Make us lovers of the truth and haters of what is false, God. Let us not dabble in it. Let us not play in it. We want to be people of the truth, God. We want to see what's really there for what it is. Father, let us be loving. It's it's hard sometimes to love those who could murder a baby. Your skillful, the skillful creation of your hands, Father. How could we destroy something so wonderful, so fearfully made? God, give us a spirit of graciousness as we interact with those that see this different. But let us be bold. Let us not just lay down in front of this freight train of wickedness. Let us stand up for what's right. And it says, no, God still tells us what's right. There's still a right and still a wrong. And I'm going to be found at the end of the day, at the end of my days, Lord, make it such that I can be found having preached what's right. In Jesus' name, we all say together.